keep Rayman Digital on the air through 2020 by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital to pledge. Warning from the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphor to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. All right, hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank, the Mandalorian edition. I am Michael Flores and I'm doing the backstroke in the Back to Tank, doing some doggy paddling. I'm doing water aerobics in the Back to Tank. I <laughs> ate a little too much food this week and I'm trying to burn off those calories. Mike, where's my floaties? I I, I might drown. Oh, flo- okay, float like the ones you put on your arms. Yeah, okay, I can get behind. You know that. the ones that are, that that are Baby Yoda merchandise. I, I can floaties. See. Oh, okay, with like Baby Yoda imprinted on them. Exactly. I like that. Look at you, a little merchandiser over there. <laughs> I'm telling you, they should be actually doing these. Baby things. Yoda, the flamethrowers next. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna be talking about Chapter Six, The Prisoner. That is the episode we'll be discussing and breaking down and reviewing. And I have to say, this was the episode I have been waiting for personally. Uh, director Rick Famuya, Famu Iwa, yeah, and veteran Star Wars writer Christopher Yost knocked this one out the park, David. Yeah, this was it was a home run. This was a home run. I mean, this was arguably the first time an episode has felt true. Lee fun, truly fun. Well, and yes, yes and no. I felt like we've seen some fun moments, but I feel like this is the first episode that truly felt like an episode of television. Yes. It didn't feel broken or jarring. And it wasn't just a writing either. It was the directing, the tone, the acting. Yes, David, the acting was good. The acting was fucking good. good. <laughs> <laughs> and the standing applause. It's important to note that, in my opinion, it's important to note that Rick also directed Chapter 2, The Child, which was another strong episode. Yeah. But this one is much better. Uh, Christopher Yost had a fun time writing this episode. There were a lot of meta moments, uh, like when the Mandalorian teased Mayfeld about being a stormtrooper because... You know, the ongoing joke amongst fans that stormtroopers can't shoot if that their was, life depended on it. That was awesome. That was so funny when he said, oh, yeah. he was an Imperial sharpshooter. Yeah. And he's all like, and he's all, that doesn't say much. He's like, I wasn't a stormtrooper, stormtrooper asshole. Yeah. That was so cool. <laughs> I was like cracking up. I like, go, yes. I love thank it. You. That was funny because we always, we as fans always joke about that. And we don't want too many moments like that. We don't want to be taken out of this world of Star Wars. 
You know, we want to be, we want to remain immersed. We don't want to feel like we're watching TV. We want to be a part of the story. Yeah. So moments like that are fun, but we need to use them or use them very sparingly. Um, but also Melfield, Mayfield's joke. Dude, I, this is the first time I outright laughed out loud during an episode of the Mandalorian. But when Mayfeld joked about the Mandalorian being a Gungan, yes. and he's all, is that why you said don't want to show, show your, your face? face? <laughs> the, the, this is, this is how you do humor for Star Wars. I mean, the, uh, and, and I liked uh, the fact that the actor that they chose to play Mayfield, uh, Bill Burr. Yep. Bill Burr was fantastic. Well, he, it, he's he, typically a comedian, but he has done other roles that are serious. He's a good actor. He's a great actor. And he comes out tears like his character of Mayfield. Dude, I dug him. I, I want to see him, him again. So much. I'm, I'm so glad they didn't get killed. I was a little annoyed that when I thought they were getting killed, I'm like, no, not already. These these characters are cool. All all four of them. The only one that's dead is Zero, the droid. But the other three, I felt like it was way too early. I'm like, let's start building up these characters, you know, enemies, people that don't like the Mandalorian. Let's keep them in the back burner. That's what yeah. Filoni did so well in Rebels and Clone Wars. He didn't just kill characters off right away. He would let them build up so that then you have a an archive or a catalog of characters that you can just draw from whenever you need some new players or some new faces for that episode or for a later episode. And it honestly helps bolster the mythos behind the Mandalorian himself, because with a character like this, you need to steal ideas and concepts from like comic books because of how grandiose that character is being portrayed right now. He needs a rogues gallery. He needs an enemy. He needs an arch nemesis. And also, you yes, you're absolutely right. He needs these types of characters because, and we'll get into this a little bit later when we get into the fine details of the episode. But when you surround a character like the silent type, like the Mandalorian, and you surround him with, with a bunch of characters, and I don't, I don't mean characters as in the literary form, but a group of characters. These people are funny. They all have personalities. Yes. When you throw him in the mix of that type of situation, you learn about your character. Yeah. It's 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 uh, a character like that. Uh, I look at now this is like stealing from what honestly inspired the Mandalorian. But when you look at spaghetti Westerns, like the ones that me and you have grown oh, up on. Yeah. The silent hero always has that foil that he goes off of, whether it's, you know, a uh, fistful of, uh, for a few dollars more, yeah, it was Tuco, uh, yeah. and then in uh, for a few dollars more, you had him and the uh, colonel, the silent, uh, Clint Eastwood's character, and then Lee Van Cleef. Even with Lee Van Cleef's westerns as well his spaghetti westerns death rides a horse you had the silent character and then you had the one that talked a lot more talked a lot more and you learn about your character through those other characters and i'm glad you brought up spaghetti western because this is also the first episode dave that i felt was actually a western and i'll tell you why because the previous episodes were western because they're they're pointing at it hey guys look what we're doing yeah we're western we're western guys Look at look at what we're doing. This episode was very seamless. Uh, Rick Bamuyawa, I'm just going to call him F, Rick F, because I don't want to <laughs> fuck up this poor gentleman's name any longer. Um, but what Rick did was everything was very subtle. He maintained a tone with the characters Berg, Juan, I believe is how you pronounce her name, Mayfeld, and Zero. 
they were all great and they fit right into the typical Star Wars archetype seamlessly. But more than that, and to the point, there was also that spaghetti Western vibe to those characters, the villains with those heckling henchmen that always are such a big part in the classic spaghetti Westerns, the one that laughs all the time and mocks the hero. Yeah. And they always end it always ends terribly for them. Yes, because a bit, doing a spaghetti western is more than just wearing western gear and putting putting on a uh, putting on a six shooter. No, know? there's a, there's a tone. There's, there's a, a theme. Tone, there's themes. There's there's even like color palettes. Even like uh, yes. the way the the way it's visually colored shows that it's a western. Like I kind of got the vibe when he goes into when he goes into the space station. Mm-hmm. The way it's colored, it's it's almost like a it's almost like a a dingy cantina. It, it did look know? like that. It looked like you know either a hotel or a casino yes, or a, that's or a I mean. cantina, like like, yeah. like a like a motel, one of those rundown motels you yeah. see in in a western town. Yeah, I mean, this was without a doubt the most western episode of all uh, because it wasn't trying so hard to be a western. No, the director and the writer knew the art of subtlety. Yes. And I mean, we even had scenes like the jailbreak, which is also a very common Western trope. And it worked for this episode. Not to mention, you know, let's just double down on how great this episode was. Not to mention there's something exciting about seeing New Republic anything. New Republic prison ship, for example, in this episode, (laughs) a New Republic soldier. Um, just the idea of the new Republic is exciting. It's something we've read about for years. But we the, haven't seen for years, David, even with the old EU before it got retconned by Disney, the old EU, new Republic, new Republic, new Republic. And it's something that I thought as a Star Wars fan, we would never truly get to see. Yes. And then when Disney took over, I'm like, we're going to get to see the new Republic. And guess what? We didn't see the New Republic. We saw their planet for like a half a second. And then and it then, got vaporized. And then I, I believe it was the Senate and Force Awakens got destroyed. And then now there's no New Republic and it's just the resistance. So to be able to see this government form, the government that rose from the ashes of the war between the Rebel Alliance and the Empire. I like it. And every time we can get something talked about or expressed or explained about the new Republic, I feel like that's, that's a win for us. Hardcore star Wars fans. And that's why having a showrunner like Favaro and Baloney being executive producer, you know, being involved in this show, they're putting things in there that they know the old school star Wars fans have wanted to see because they are old school Star Wars yeah. fans. They understand what we want to see. They they understand that we want to see the universe progress. It's not just about constantly seeing the same designs over and over and over again. And that's why I'm glad you brought up the whole ship thing. That was one of my favorite designs by far in this episode was getting to see not just the ship, but those droids, those brand new droids yep. that we've never seen before. The prison before, droids. Do yeah. you realize I actually got giddy because me and you have seen those droid before, droids before. And I was so excited that we finally got to see them in live, in live action. And it works. Where were they from? Resistance. Oh, They're the same right. security droids on the Colossus. And I was like going, I kept thinking to myself, 
especially with Resistance. I love Resistance's designs and everything that's else. That's the only thing that's good about it. That's the only thing that was fantastic. And I've always wanted to know, will we be able to see that? It's the New Republic. Yeah. Just like what you said. You want to see these new designs and see if it's possible. Yes, it's possible in animation. But is it possible live action? Hills. You know that they're thinking about those little details about like the technology. Like if you looked at the X-Wings that were seen in the very end, they weren't your atypical X-Wings that we've seen. Those were brand new, you know, I love that part. X-Wings that you see in the New Republic with Poe Dameron. Because you got to remember, the only X-Wings we've seen thus far is in from the movies is Poe's squad. That's it. Yeah. So we got to see some updated X-Wings. Updated X-Wings. And I believe one of the pilots uh, was actually Dave Filoni, right? My God and Savior. Wow, calm down. <laughs> Do you need a cum bucket over there? Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this episode a bit more formally. The director of this episode, Rick Famuyiwa, and the writer, Christopher L. Yost, and yep. the synopsis. The Mandalorian joins a crew of mercenaries on a dangerous mission. All right, so taking a closer look at the writing this week, as well as the evolving meth arc, it seems like a lot of people are losing patience with the main story progression. I've seen a lot of blogs today. People are now complaining about the show. Yes. And I can understand the argument only because we have been conditioned. We have for over a decade now, we have been conditioned that a TV season story should be connected through the season's episodes. Serialized television, not episodic. So serialized plus an overarching story that is told over various moments with each episode or what many call the myth arc. In fact, people probably hear us throwing around a that lot. word all the time. Yes. Now, if you had to pinpoint a myth arc for this show, there is one in this show. The myth arc is the child. Yes. Who is he? What is he? Where is he from? And who is after him? And for what purpose? That's the myth arc. I think the problem that people are having is that that specific story, which is the myth arc, people expected that to be fleshed out every single episode because that's what a lot of modern television does now. That's I'm, how you tell your story for a lot of modern TV. I'm glad you brought that up because, like, you're right. I think that here's the thing. We've been, re I, I, especially myself, I've been really critical about The Mandalorian thus far because it's not following the the prototypical TV setup that I'm used to where, just like we said, we're now conditioned for serialized television. You have one main myth arc, and that's the entire season. And every episode, for the most part, you're delving into that myth arc. And it's funny when you brought when you brought it up uh, earlier off the show about uh, out of the show about that. It made me really think, and I'm like, going, well, wait a minute, yeah. Why is this wrong? Because before serialized television, there was episodic, and you had shows like you know Star Trek, CSI, CSI. And CBS, Law and Order. Law and Order. Yeah. Episodic uh, well, shows. Every episode is 
self-contained. Self-contained. And also sometimes the events that took place in episode one doesn't really resonate in episode two. For example, you can have a character that lost a loved one and that whole entire episode is about their grieving. And then in the second episode, they're never mentioned again and they're not grieving any longer, even though in the previous episode they were grieving because they've moved on past that story. Now, if you have a serialized version of that, that grieving process would probably be pulled over numerous episodes. Yes. That's the difference. And I think that's the problem that a lot of people are having because number one, this isn't episodic. This is serialized, but it's serialized. It's almost like a hybrid. It's it's there is the myth arc, but they're also doing these standalone episodes as well as they as they move through each week. I think what a lot of people are having a problem with is that they don't see that part, the myth arc of the show progressing. A few sites today called the episode more table dressing than anything. And I would agree. I would agree. But I guess we need to look at the show Dave, for what it is and not what you want it to be. Yes, I think that's the key here. And I know I've been very critical of the show, not because I want to write it a different way or because it should be written this way. I'm not. It's their show. It's not my show. I think once you make that determination as to what we are watching. You have to grade, critique, etc. based on that, not based on how you'd like the story to be told. For example, this episode, was it a good episode? Yes. So what are you complaining about? It was a good episode, well-written, good acting, good direction, production design, visual effects, development between a, a hero and young hero, <laughs> young Yoda, hero. The, the child and the Mandalorian. It had all the bells and whistles. It was an excellently written and directed episode. So I'm not going to come in here and do a show and start bitching and moaning, complaining, saying this is all table dressing when the main story should move forward. And yes, I have said that in previous episodes because those episodes were written poorly, poorly. As long as the episode is written strong and I feel like they have a strategy, then I am okay with how we go about this. Now, yes, yes, my cup of tea is more or less delving into the myth arc every week. That's typically the type of tv i like to watch yes but that doesn't mean that makes a show bad if they're not doing that and that's where i feel like this week a lot of people are being very critical this episode because it's not fulfilling what they want the show to be in terms of myth arc yes and i don't think that's fair break down the show for what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong i think the and i think on top of that the one thing that you have to be really careful of when you're looking at episodic setup like what they're what they're doing is running into the problem that uh, how to put this what resistance right into <laughs> do not destroy your myth art oh but the, the difference though with resistance dave is that it was all inconsequential inconsequential at the end of the day you you just made everything in, inconsequential. I mean, personally, I do prefer more myth arc mixed into my shows, if not 100% myth arc. The only reason episodic was even a thing was because of the drop-in audiences or the channel surfers back in the days. Yes. And we all remember, you know, how that is. There's not really a reason for that anymore with DVR. 
but especially with streaming services. The reason why they had episodic TV and why a lot of broadcasters were against serialized television is because they didn't want someone tuning in at eight o'clock on Tuesday feeling like they're lost in the story. Yeah. Like, well, I want to start watching this show, but they're on episode 17 and I have no, I have no un, I have no comprehension of what's happening in this show right now because I've missed the previous 17 episodes or 16 episodes. Whereas with episodic television, Every week, it's a new self-contained story. Yeah. And that's why episodic TV was such a big thing in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. But with the advent of DVRs and now streaming services and premium cable, people can watch at their leisure and they don't need to worry about having self-contained episodes because people can catch up when they can and push play when they want to. The way I I think about it, especially after you – brought this up to me was like i started thinking about it like say like for our older audiences that might remember this like nick at night you know what all those if you think of all the great classic tv shows samantha was hot yeah bewitched gilgan's island um, green acres i dream of genie oh i dream of genie every night oh barbara eden is that a real name yeah barbara oh she's a keeper and like she's still a keeper. I wish you would call me a master. <laughs> yes, Master Healy or whatever. Master Nelson. Master Flores. <laughs> I'll pretend I'm someone else for her. But like if you look at all those classic television, you watch an episode, the episode stands alone. Yeah. This episode stands by itself. Gilligan tries to get us off the island. It fails. End of story. Next episode. Yeah. (laughs) So I just think we have been conditioned over the last few years that this is how TV should be no matter what. But I feel like this hybrid is fine as long as we don't lose sight of the myth arc. Of the myth arc, yes. And we don't lose sight of our character development. That is key. Make sure that our characters develop our character development is tied into the overarching story or the myth arc as well. But that being said, As long as we get episodes like this one that are well-developed from all fronts, I'm willing to be patient for that meth arc because we are getting, we are getting fairly decent character development and we are seeing the bond between the Mandalorian and the child grow each week. There's an understanding between the two of them that is forming. I'm so glad you're referring to the child as the child and not baby Yoda. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's not baby Yoda. No. And each episode, we learn about the Mando. Episodes like this one are good examples of how to flesh out a character, David, without an odd, off-putting conversation, episode two, Two. that feels like they are, or episode three, I should say, is that with the Mandalorians? With an odd, off-putting conversation that feels like they are talking to us, the audience, rather than talking to each other. There are moments in episode three where they feel like they're talking to us, making sure we understand certain things. Episode four. Episode four was the one that actually always stuck out with me, especially with the Mando and the shock trooper. And maybe another reason why this episode works so well is the human element. There was a lot of faces that we could see, a lot of body language. There was no helmets or or masks covering the the uh, actors. Yes, the acting. So, yeah. I mean, think about it. You have a crew to talk to him. You you talk up his reputation. You poke fun of him. You place him in scenarios where he's got to make choices like kill the new Republic officer or do I not kill the Republic officer? 
that's smart development. It's natural because now we also learn more about his code and yes. his honor system Yeah. without someone saying, oh, you're honorable. You don't kill people, do you? Yeah, the Mandalorians, they're, uh, they're a reputable bunch. That's how the previous episodes would have been written. But yeah. instead, they're showing us, not telling us. It, it, a clear example of it is, okay, take, take for example – I forgot the actress's name from the la- uh, from episode four uh, that I really like, uh, who played the shark trooper, uh, Gio. Car- is it Gina? Shitty actor, Karana. <laughs> Gina Karana. Yeah, but uh, it take Gina Karana's performance compared to Clancy Brown, who played the Devorian. Mm-hmm. That uh, the way Clancy Brown does it, that's how you. Act tough. Well, Clancy Brown is just a very good actor, too. Yeah, and he's a fantastic actor. He's fucking good. That's how you denote toughness. The tough guy doesn't say. Wait, anything. you don't you don't just act tough and you make a scowling face. You don't make a scowling face. You oh. it's done through your actions, the way your body moves, the way you walk against someone. Well, same thing with uh Shawan. Is that how you say her name? Zwan or Shwan? Zan? Zan. Zan. Yeah doesn't matter but even her i mean she was great oh she was she fantastic. was a badass and she wasn't overacting so that she can convince the audience that she's tough she's the psychotic girlfriend oh she's so hot <laughs> i would be like mando why'd you ever leave her bro and the thing was my favorite part about that was like when they made when the, uh bill uh bill uh, burr's character looks at her and says so that means that you guys got close so you must have seen his face yeah and she says well a girl never kisses and tells but for some strange reason my perverted mind pictured the mandalorian just banging her with, <laughs> with the, the helmet, helmet on, on. <laughs> <laughs> take yeah. off the helmet no <laughs> i um I dig all that conversation yeah, because it, was, it did so much for his character. We also get the idea that he wasn't always a Mandalorian, at least wearing the helmet. The fact that she said she knows the real him. So there's room to, you know, they planted the seeds and there's room to let that part of his backstory grow at a later time, especially because she was not killed off, which is smart. Yes. You don't want to kill off a character that's so intrinsically tied to his background as a character. So, I mean, overall, it's just smart development. As I said, it's very natural. It's a natural way to learn about our characters. Yes. That's why I keep saying this is good writing. Yeah. And we're also reminded of the bigger story for example, when Zero fumbled upon the bounty message. So we will see what happens with this. We did not get a continuation of the events from last week. Uh, those worn, those waning moments with the boots and Finnick Shand at the end. I know a lot of people might have been disappointed because they were hoping that they would be able to validate their odd fucking theories about the person in boots being Boba Fett, but it goes, it goes into like what you were saying is like, we are, we're, we've been, we've been like trained now to ex- look at serialized television. So just because they didn't answer that question from the last episode here, they'll, they'll get to it. They'll get to, of course it. they're going to get to it. They'll get to it, but yeah. not for this episode. This yeah. episode is a different story. It's basically, to focus on another aspect of the Mandalorian and yeah. kind of break him, break him out. And I know, um, 
I know some people are having issues, Dave, as you mentioned, that they're calling these throwaway episodes and and why are we doing this? But I, again, I do not think they're throwaway episodes. A throwaway episode no. would I, I hate when people use that word and they have no idea what they're talking about. This is not a throwaway episode. This is an episode that works on flushing out the Mandalorian. Yes, that's not a throwaway, a throwaway episode. We learned so much about our key character in this episode. As I said, we also saw the bond growing between Mando and the child, which is also very important, not just to this episode, but to the myth arc. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as we said, the acting was a huge improvement this week. We had good actors paired with a good director. We got subtle performances that worked you can ham it up all day i mean this is star wars but we need good actors hamming it up even here's the funny part i mean the only bad acting you could say is feloni but because it's feloni yeah but it's all right it's all right it's because all right. like it's just a moment it's a moment and feloni is just being himself <laughs> he's not acting yeah I'm surprised he wasn't wearing his little cowboy hat. Oh, dude, if he was wearing the cowboy hat, I would like a hundred. Oh, you're such an asshole. (laughs) My Lord and Savior dictates it's a (laughs) hundred. No, it's not. Yeah, I I definitely say that basically it's not a perfect episode, but my God, this has to be. I think this is my favorite episode thus far. Well, dude, the stunt work this this oh episode was, was really some of good. the best fight sequences we've seen on TV. And if you if you had to say one great thing about this show, the action is on point. Yes. The stunts is on point. There's an epidemic on TV nowadays where stunt work just sucks. Yes, it does. Sucks. Choreograph, you know, purposely missed hits, timed ducks timed weaves bobs and weaves it looks so choreographed and yet with this show the fighting is so visceral yes. it's very physical and it fe- you feel those hits you feel those blaster shots and that's something that i just love every episode especially with the character that played the devorian and i like the fact that basically in that fight scene the mandalorian uses the fire and there was something about this episode, his use of the flamethrower in this episode was much better than in previous episodes. Because, like, when he uses the fire in previous episodes, like his wrist flamethrowers, it's usually just flashy. It's flashy. The most graphic thing we've seen is him burn a, a, a stormtrooper to crisp. And even then, it, it, it wasn't as impactful. Here, when he fights Clancy Brown, hits him with the flamethrower, you see Clancy Brown literally covered in fire. He shrugs it off, but the fire looks like it's it's there right there. It doesn't look like a grading effect. It doesn't or, look like a grading effect. Like yeah. what, what it looked like in uh, when, when he used it on the stormtrooper, like a little optical effect, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes down to the color grading of this show. That's something we have not gotten into yet, Dave. But the color grading, whoever is the colorist on this show, and I will find out his name soon. For our next discussion, people don't understand how important color is and how it's an actual, it's a whole other job. Yeah. And you have to match certain things. 
Now, if you're the first one to dabble in a show that has no connections to anything else, meaning it's not a franchise, this is the first iteration, then you don't have to worry about matching anything up. You can make sure the color looks great for what the director was trying to do, but you need to color correct and make sure that color palette matches the original trilogy. And that's one thing they, again, knock out the park every single episode. The color grading matches the original trilogy. Yes. Whereas when you look at the sequel trilogy, it's a brighter colors, um, which which works for that show. We're talking about, you know, a 30 year time gap and that's fine. But when you're more closer to the original trilogy, there's a specific look you have to make sure you have. And day week in, week out, they make sure that that episode looks amazing from the color palette. They, they've uh, side of things. Yeah. The visual effects just in general visual editing that they've done in this series is top notch. Well, I want to see, I want to see things, Dave, we've said this, that we haven't seen before and to see, for example, how they had the razor crest drop out of hyperspace and then land on the prison ship instantly was just amazing work. Oh, it was amazing. I rewound that part three times because it blew me away how flawless that scene looked. Yes. And especially in context with the real action that was happening in between because you you were cutting from outside seeing the ship doing its thing in space to inside the ship where the crew is getting thrown around like nothing. Yeah, they drop Baby Yoda. <laughs> I call him Baby Yoda for that. There you go. Yeah, sorry, Dave. <laughs> They dropped the baby. I felt bad. I was like, <laughs> I was thinking, oh God, Clancy's going to fall on him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts, Dave? My final thoughts on this episode, as I said, this is by far my favorite episode up to this date. I've, I've been liking the Mandalorian up to this point, but it's, it, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you where it's been missing something. And it isn't God's gift to Star Wars fans. It's not the greatest thing on ice, you know, but it's been good. This past episode for me makes the series almost that much closer to great. It's, it's still above average to me, but it's not at great level yet. I mean, I love the little nods to Clone Wars and Dave Filoni's connection to his entire crew. It was basically a Filoni crew. It was a Filoni crew that ran the episode. I'm like, like, yeah, don't don't use the 500 first, and don't use. Maybe that's why this episode was so strong, Dave, because it was it was all of Filoni's boys, his crew. Well, dude, I was so excited seeing Matt Lantern, Anakin Skywalker himself, as a. Poor guy that dies as <laughs> the rebel officer. That was cool. You can't kill Anakin like that. Oh, but but Filoni <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> I uh, uh, I've always wanted to see the actors from Clone Wars get their due and get into live action. And yes, Matt Lantern was f- great, but honestly, getting to see Clancy Brown do it, actually get into a Star Wars show live action play a character that honestly he can run with i honestly feel he can run with this character i'm glad just like what you said he wasn't killed off although my god so you mean to tell me you closed blast doors on him and he didn't die 
this guy's unstoppable. He's like the juggernaut. <laughs> he's, the- he's the juggernaut, bitch. And like, <laughs> is that what he says? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like, what do you, wh- how do you stop him? You can't stop him. And then like, but like the, the fact that Clancy was able to play a character almost similar to Savage Opress. I mean, if you look at the Devorian, the way he acts. And we've never been able to see a Devorian. Yeah, we know. In live action to. like this. And this it was so awesome getting to see him play that type yeah. of character. God, I love it. I from, love it. From his voicing a character like this in Savage Opress, and then suddenly he gets to act like a character like this in, in the Devorian. I'm like going, this was, if you were a hardcore Star Wars fan from Clone Wars, you got giddy seeing these guys, and you felt yeah. really proud saying, hey, look, that's it, it's Clancy Brown. It's Savage Opress. Hey, it's Matt Lantern. Bye, Matt Lantern. <laughs> Sorry, you're, Anakin. You're such a nerd right now, Dave. Yeah. All right. So give me your final thoughts. You're, final you're, you're thoughts doing a whole this. other show over there now. Yeah. Final thoughts <laughs> on this. My final score. This is going to be the highest score Mandalorian episode so far. I'm not going to go into the, the 100 range, but I am going to give this the first 90 that I've ever given for any of the Mandalorian episodes. Okay. Because... Honestly, this is what we should if if this is like the format that you were talking about, especially thinking about like what you said about the formatting of the series itself. If, if this, this is this the, is the format, format, then we need to judge it based on the format, not the format you want. Exactly. So if you look at this episode, this episode stands alone by itself, does everything we want, is written well, visually it's close to perfect. The cast was fine. Acting was actually a hundred times better than the past. I'd say four because the last episode was not that bad. Yeah. But the acting in the uh, acting in this, like this is Oscar worthy acting compared oh, to what so, we okay. got. Okay. Compared to, okay. compared to, like, compared Dave. to, compared to like the first four episodes. I'm sorry. This might hurt my, some of my, friends in the 500 first and everything but you guys can't act oh david <laughs> you guys, Come you guys on. shouldn't act all right okay. dave so but percentage. I, I give it a first 90 this is my first 90 for the for the series all right are you done gushing over there yep all right because it's my lord and savior has saved us <laughs> all right dave i will follow you up with an 84 percent okay I, I do feel like the episode is very strong it's in my opinion it's miles ahead of every other episode we've received so far. I'm hoping moving forward though, we have two episodes left. We do need to push forward a bit more on that myth arc, but if we still get, you know, 20 minutes out of a 40 minute episode, we get 20 minutes of, you know, another job of sorts. And then it ties right back into the myth arc. I mean, that'd be a good way to go into the mid season finale as well. So overall good episode, good acting, good visual effects, good color, palette i mean just everything about this when it comes to the work behind the scenes this show is just an accomplishment it really is and to see filoni's crew come in and just own this show and i hope i hope favaro has taken note and i hope that for next season he brings in more of these people and allows filoni to have a lot more story input because Yes, Favaro, you're the showrunner and it sh- you should be the boss. But these guys know how to write TV. Yeah. Then these Let two, them do it. These past two episodes have proven it. 
Yes. All right. So this concludes our discussion on The Mandalorian Episode 6, The Prisoner. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) 